Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. On this week's show, posting June 19, 2015, we'll be speaking with Sophie de Beauvais of the Fondation pour l'Innovation Politique in Paris about her WPJ blog post headlined Ending the European Refugee Crisis. We'll also point out top stories in the WPJ Spring issue. But first, some timely insights from Washington with Paul Brandis, who runs the West Wing Reports News Service. Well, other than advisors, the U.S. won't put boots on the ground in Iraq to counter the spread of the so-called Islamic State, but efforts to train Iraqi troops are stumbling. The Pentagon acknowledges that a U.S.-led training program in Iraq has turned out only 7,000 Iraqi soldiers since last year. That's less than one-third of the goal. Defense Secretary Ashton Carter tells a congressional panel that the Iraqi government simply is not producing enough recruits and needs to step up its efforts. Carter has made no secret of his contempt for Iraqi forces, blaming what he calls their unwillingness to fight ISIS, which now controls big chunks of Iraqi territory. More popular than ever, Russian President Vladimir Putin's approval has jumped to 88%. That's according not to some Kremlin-controlled poll, but to a survey by Pew Research, the well-respected Washington-based firm. White House Press Secretary Josh Ernest tells World Policy he's skeptical that the Kremlin boss is really that popular. The Obama administration continues to believe it's only a matter of time before sanctions and the low price of oil hurt the Russian economy enough for Putin to feel the political heat. And remember how President Obama and Pope Francis worked together to improve U.S. relations with Cuba? The White House has now taken note of the pontiff's warnings about global warming, how it's man-made, and how the use of fossil fuels must be curtailed. A West Wing source says the president and pope may team up again to advance their common agenda on this vital issue as well. For World Policy On Air, I'm Paul Brandis at the White House. You're listening to World Policy On Air. Now this. We really beg for bad weather so that migrants are unable to cross. Almost 6,000 have come in the last couple of months because the weather has become so much better. Wishing for bad weather came hard to that local official on the popular Greek destination island of Kos, talking to the BBC. But Kos is just three miles off the Turkish coast that has become a major embarkation zone for refugees from poverty, persecution, and bloody violence in Syria, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and North Africa. More than 220,000 of those desperate migrants crossed the Mediterranean last year, mostly to Greece and Italy, and the death toll by drowning for the last few months alone is close to 2,000 despite European Union proposals to do better, both at handling the migrants and stemming their migration. Former World Policy Journal intern Sophie de Beauvais, now with the Fondation pour l'Innovation Politique in Paris, examined the problem and a variety of proposals to deal with it for the WPJ website blog under the headline Ending the European Refugee Crisis. And we spoke about it recently for this podcast. Sophie de Beauvais, uh, welcome to World Policy on Air. 
Thank you. Uh, we mentioned some of the places from which Europe's tidal wave of refugees begins, but which countries are the largest contributors? Most migrants come from Syria and Eritrea in Africa, and they account for most asylum seekers, migrants. Talk about the legal responsibilities of the EU and member nations to accept refugees and the requirements of what your essay calls the Dublin Regulations. So asylum seekers have a legal right to claim asylum in Europe because they are flying from persecution or civil war. And Dublin regulation in Europe determines the state responsible for the examination of an application. So there are different criteria such as family considerations or a recent possession of a visa or work permit in a country. But most of the time, the first country migrants arrive in are the one responsible for examining the application. So it's not shared equally because most people arrive in Mediterranean countries, uh, they cross the Mediterranean Sea and they arrive in countries like Italy or Greece. And how has the handling of the problem been affected by the creation of the European Refugee Fund and the Temporary Protection Directive? So the European Refugee Fund, uh, which became the, asylum, the Fund for Asylum Migration and Integration last year, encouraged countries to welcome migrants by giving them financial aid. So, for example, right for the next seven years, the fund has a budget of 3 billion euros, and they encourage the improvement of infrastructures, measures to empower and give skills to the refugees or structures, legal aid, and temporary protection is a different type of legal regulation. It's, it gives procedures to deal with mass influxes of displaced persons. Those people are not able to return to their country, so it provides them with a protection in the meantime, and it gives them harmonized rights through Europe. Remind us of the tragedy in April that prompted the EU to focus more seriously on the issue. April 19th, more than 700 people died in the Mediterranean Sea while they were trying to cross the sea by boat. So actually very close to the Libyan coast. And before that, the EU probably did not realize how important the issue was and it fostered negotiation to change the asylum policy in Europe. We'll talk about the recent EU proposals to spread the burden of resettling refugees more fairly among EU nations. How many more would major nations have to take? So, as I say, only six countries contribute more largely to welcoming immigrants. Some countries, like France, the UK, uh, the Netherlands, are for a more fair share of refugees. So quotas were proposed by the European Commission. It's pretty unpopular because those quotas would be calculated given the country's GDP, the refugees already there, but also their unemployment rate. So France, for example, would have to accept around 14% more uh, migrants, Germany 18%, and Italy 11%. So both countries are not 
very willing to implement quotas, but more to they are more willing to reform the asylum policy for other countries to host migrants. Talk more about uh, the reaction of uh, current European political leaders, especially among the rising tide of right-wing anti-immigrant factions. Um, nationalist and populist leaders or politicians are against immigration, and they, are, they want to close borders, if not leave the EU. Uh, other leaders, um, like Cameron, for example, insisted that Britain, he insisted that Britain would not would not take in any additional refugees. France is also against quotas, but is willing to have a more fair repartition of migrants between every member state in the Europe, the 28 member states. And Merkel, Merkel has a different approach because she really wants Europe to find an agreement, so she's more open to the Commission's idea. So there's a difference between the six countries who contribute the most and the others. What about the less culturally explosive notion of simply sharing more equally at least the financial costs connected with rescuing, admitting, processing, resettling the refugees, which, as, as you note, is overwhelming uh, to hard-pressed countries like Italy and, and practically bankrupt Greece? Yes, so the, now the financial costs are already shared through all the funds, like the refugee funds, the migration funds, the search and, and rescue operation Triton, which was implemented last December. Before that, countries like Italy and Greece spent more money rescuing people, but now it's an EU responsibility. So the operation Triton spend the same amount of money as Italy did before, which is about 9 million euros and more, more. And I think now everybody agrees that it's an EU problem and the EU needs to deal with it and just not leave countries to deal with it by themselves. But in fact, expenditures uh, on search and rescue actually decreased uh, in recent years. Talk about what the Mare Nostrum operation achieved and what followed it. Yes, the Mare Nostrum, they had a budget of 9 million euros and more, euros a month, and they saved about 15,000 migrants. They arrested 300 smugglers, alleged smugglers who were brought to justice. But at the same time, in spite of this operation, 3,000 people died in 2014. When it was replaced by the Operation Tridon, which was led by Europe, they gave it, their budget was around three times an hour. But since the tragedy in April 19th, they gave more money to it to match the fund of Marinostrum. So it came back to normal by the end. What are the new EU proposals for stemming the tide uh, at sea and even earlier? One of the proposals is to stop or destroy the boats at the source. Uh, it's not an easy solution because it endangers people's lives. And there's a difference to stop the boat, to stop smugglers who actually make money out of migrants, and to stop the boat not to host migrants, to impeach them to reach the coast, which is what Australia does, but it violates um, every human rights regulation and international law. If Europe decides to stop the boat at the source, it needs to be implemented with other measures such as processing the applications directly on the African coast.
Uh, critics say that uh, destroying traffickers' vessels, reducing the boats, uh, the, the number of boats, uh, may ultimately produce more deaths, uh, even if no refugees are actually killed in the process on the boats, because more people will overload fewer ships available uh, with more fatal accidents likely. What's your view on that? Well, migrants already face violence. They face frustrations through their trip. So... Processing the applications directly on the coast is probably and impeaching them to try to cross the sea by themselves, which can be dangerous, can be a better solution because it gives them, they don't risk their lives. Of course, maybe they will face violence, but it won't change anything. Javier Solana, formerly the EU's high representative for foreign and security policy, says Europeans should be more compassionate and remember their own history of desperate flight from repression uh, before, during, and after World War II. What do you think could better engender that attitude toward the refugees of today? It's right that Europe has always been a continent of immigration. And closing border is not a popular idea among Europeans who feel freedom by immigration. Indeed, most people mistake illegal immigration with refugees. So governments and administration need to explain the distinction better and realize they're not economic migrants. So I think that's something that can be done, something easy. And in terms of policies and programs, what do you think would better handle Europe's refugee challenge? A revision of the European policies, implying more coordination, more solidarity. Uh, as I said, a revision of the European regulations, like the Dublin regulations, so applications are shared more equally within Europe, and not just process in Italy and Greece themselves. Migrants need to be able to to give applications to apply in Austria, in Finland, in Slovenia, not only the first country they arrive in. So Italy and Greece can have better uh, understanding of applications and other countries can host more migrants. In these difficult economic times, uh, which are continuing uh, in much of Europe, do you think there has to be some sort of absolute limit on the number of migrants, for whatever good reasons they may have, uh, to be taken into uh, the populations of the European nations? Well, technically, it's difficult to argue there should be a limitation. At the same time, it's, to be honest, not all the migrants can come to Europe, especially because with the asylum seekers, every time, economic migrants and illegal immigration are sneaking in. So I think instead of calling for limitations of asylum seekers, maybe European leaders should call for an international cooperation and call for other countries in the world to accept these asylum seekers in their countries. The same happened in Asia in the 70s, and refugees from Vietnam went all over the world. And I think the same thing can happen now with Africa. Sophie de Beauvais, thank you. Thank you. Formerly at World Policy Journal, Sophie de Beauvais is now with the Fondation pour l'innovation politique in Paris. Her essay on the WPJ blog is ending the European refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. 
Featured in the spring 2015 issue of World Policy Journal, you'll find articles on intelligence failures leading to the Mumbai terror attacks, on the future of Islam and Islam in our future, and AIDS after the Arab Spring. Plus, tune into next week's podcast as we start exploring the new summer issue and its special section, Climate's Cliff, with leading environmentalist Lester Brown. His lead article on energy is headlined Fossil to Solar and Wind. World Policy On Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Publisher David Andelman, Managing Editor Yaffa Frederick, Online News Editor and Podcast Producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. <laughs>